Well, in light of a worldwide pandemic that has impacted every one of us in some way and some of us more than others, I'm hitting pause on this series through the book of Acts and I'm starting a brand new series today on trusting God. I don't know where you are today on the whole spectrum of fear and anxiety, but wherever you are, my hope is that I can help you connect your specific situation your specific fears and anxieties to what it would look like to trust in a sovereign, wise, loving, good God who has not left us. He's with us. Say it with me. He's with us. Say it louder. He's with us. Kids, you say it. He's with us. And so I hope you downloaded the outline today because I put something at the top of the outline. I put a box at the top of the outline that I want us to work with right now. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to write the answer in that box. You ready? Here's the question. What, what are you struggling with the most? In trusting God right now. In what area are you struggling the most. To trust God right now. With what? What is it? In other words. I want you to name it. Define it. Put words to it. Here's why. Half the battle in fighting fear and anxiety. Is to keep it from being nebulous. And fuzzy. Bring it out of the dark and into the light by naming it. And if you're saying right now, oh, Brad, it is never all going to fit in that box. Listen to me. I'm not asking you to write down everything that is buzzing around in your head and heart. I'm not asking you to unravel every strand of all that is tangled up inside of you. Mm mm. I'm asking you to write down that one big thing that just keeps eating at you the most. Crouching right at your heart's door, ready to raise its voice at the slightest provocation. It's never far from your thoughts. And it might start with this phrase. What if? What if? What if I get the virus? What if I lose my job? What if I can't find another job? What if my kids get sick? What if my parents die? What if the economy does not rebound quickly? What if? I'm talking about that most relentless, prevailing, repeating thought that is always right there when you wake up in the night. Or when your mind begins to wander in the day. That's where your thoughts go. You got it? You got it? If you need to grab the remote and hit pause. To give this some thought. Do it. I'll be right here when you get back. Because I don't want you to just listen to a message about trusting God. I want to help you put into practice. What it would look like to trust God. God with your greatest fear. 
What would it look like? So you got it? Everybody got something in that box. Okay, here we go. Let's dig into it. Here's the first thing I want you to wrestle with. Number one, is God trustworthy? In other words, I'm asking you to dig down into your personal thoughts about God. Let me be clear. I'm not asking you what you think the right answer is. I'm not asking you even what a sound theological position might be. I'm not even asking you what you think the Bible actually teaches. You can have good answers to all of that. I'm asking you about your private, personal, quiet thoughts about God. That nobody sees but you and God. Because I hope you realize those are the only thoughts that really matter as to how well you will do in these unsettling times. In other words, is God a loving, caring, personal God for You, or is he just some kind of cold, calculating, detached, sovereign God who's in absolute control? But he doesn't really love me or care about me much at all. In other words, we are the church family, yes, that teaches about the sovereignty of God. It'll change your life. We believe it. It's one of our big rocks. But, oh, listen to me. Do you have the sovereignty of God in isolation? I hope not. Or do you have the sovereignty of God sandwiched securely down in between his love and wisdom, goodness and mercy, compassion and care? Because that's who he is. Oh, you don't want the sovereignty of God to be in isolation Just sitting on that cold laboratory table of your theology. God is sovereign. You have to have the sovereignty of God sandwiched down in between. Love and wisdom. Goodness and mercy. Compassion and care. What I'm really driving at is letter A. Do you see God as a loving and trustworthy father? Who steps down into our trouble With us. Or is he just a mighty God. Who watches us. From a distance. Oh turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 18. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 18. And you follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. Because oh my goodness. This is a fantastic God is trustworthy. Worthy and cares about me, chapter, if there ever was one. Psalm chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. 
I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. Skip to verse 16. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Oh, do you hear that? Some of you are believers, but you still think that God just tolerates you. He just tolerates you. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Our God is a loving father who delights in his children. Skip to verse 27. For you will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He's a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Oh, listen to this. Your right hand held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. Our God is a personal, caring father who holds us and he's gentle. He's gentle. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. Skip to verse 46. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. You just heard me read the word me or my 48 times. And if I had read this chapter in its entirety, you would have heard those two words. Me, my, me, my 81 times. Why? Because... God is a personal, loving, trustworthy father. He gets close to us. He gets involved in our lives. The details. Oh, you'll never trust God, my friends. Until you first see God as a loving, trustworthy father for you. For you. But even after you've settled this issue, the trustworthiness of 
God, you're still not done. You see, that issue is just step one in getting onto this life-changing path of trusting God. After you settle that issue, is he trustworthy for me? You've got to get a hold of something else. Letter B. Do you know how to fasten your faith on some specific promises? In other words, this is going to hurt some of you. I say it all the time. But oh, in times like what we're in now, it matters even more. You've got to know your Bible because you are reading it so regularly and slowly and prayerfully. And as you do this day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, slowly over time. Three of the most important things for the Christian life begins to settle in and serve like ballast that keep you balanced, that keep you upright, that keep you from tipping and flipping over and sinking in the storms of life. Three of the most important things in the Christian life begin to settle into you like ballast. Most important things in the Christian life are not identifying your spiritual gift. Figuring out the end times. Knowing what the 70 weeks of Daniel are that he's talking about. No. Three of the most important things for the Christian life begin to settle into you like ballasts that keep you balanced and upright as you read your Bible. All of it. Regularly. Slowly. Prayerfully. Let me tell you what these three things are. You begin to see for yourself who God is, that he's utterly trustworthy and unchanging. Notice how I worded that. You you begin to see it for yourself and get it. It's no secondhand knowledge. It's not a thrift store knowledge of God. That won't get it done in times like what we're in. For yourself. You begin to see for yourself more. Of who God is. Utterly trustworthy and unchanging. Secondly. You begin to more and more and more. Understand the humble reality. Of just how God dependent. And feeble and frail and fearful we are. You don't get that from the world. The world drums into us how great we are, how capable we are, how sufficient we are, how able we are. When you go to God's word, you begin to understand just how frail and feeble and fearful and God dependent we are. You were created to need God desperately. And then number three, number three. As you read God's word, you learn more and more and more precious promises that you can cling to that connect this utterly trustworthy God to these feeble, frail, fearful children. Who God is, who we are, and promises that connect this God with these feeble, God-dependent children. This, my friends, is the biblical trifecta that changes how you respond 
to life. Knowing that God is utterly trustworthy and unchanging for yourself. Unashamedly embracing the fact that you're God dependent, weak, frail, feeble. And then more and more building up a storehouse of precious promises that you know for yourself that you can cling to, that connect this trustworthy God to these feeble, frail children. In other words, I hope you realize that when we talk about trusting God, trusting God is not something that stands on its own. When we talk about trusting God, we're actually talking about believing in specific things that he has said. Trusting God doesn't happen in a vacuum. Trusting God happens when you place your faith in specific promises that he has made. So stay with me. If you don't know his promises, your faith has no place to go, no place to land, nothing to sink its teeth into. John Piper describes it this way. He says, and I quote, What I have found over the years is that the most common breakdown is the, is the failure to trust specific promises from God, which leaves Christians living in a kind of mental and spiritual haze. Folks, I see this. It's epidemic among Christians today in America. They live in a spiritual haze because they don't know what God says. They don't know their Bibles at all because they're not reading their Bibles. They live in a spiritual haze. They pray for help, but they have no specific promise of God in mind that they are praying about. And so their trust floats in the air instead of fastening on a promise. Faith is meant to fasten firmly and on unshakably on one or more of those promises. But when promises are not in view, faith dangles in the air. Look at me. Some of you have a faith that is just dangling in the air. It's just floating around out there. With nothing to fasten on because you're not feeding on God's word. Not feeding on God's word. And so I hope you realize I want to help you. I don't mean to offend you, but I I may have to offend you on the way to helping you. Your dangling faith, all right, is a useless faith that's no better than empty atheism. Faith has to be stuffed with something. The character and promises of God. That's what feeds faith. And faith fastens on specific promises. What you know about God. Which you're not going to learn outside of the word of God. To know who God is and what he says. You have to be reading his word. And so let me give you. Let me just whet your appetite. Give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Let me give you some promises that you can feed on. And fasten your faith on. Second Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. But of power. And of love. And of a sound mind. That's a promise. 
Now, here's what I think some of you sometimes think and don't understand. When I take a verse like this, I don't want you to think I read that and say, yes, that describes me exactly. No, I read that. And here's what I do with that. I say, oh, my goodness, I do have a spirit of fear, God. But your word tells me you've not given me a spirit of fear. So this is not of you. I'm not going to give in to this. I'm not going to lie down in this. I'm not going to own this and claim it for my own and say, this is me. You said you've given me power. I feel so weak. You've given me love. I don't feel loving. I feel anxious. I feel aggravated. I feel edgy. And you say you've given me a sound mind. But my mind seems so confused. So I take that verse believing it. And I pray it and say God make me more like this. This is what you've promised. And I wrestle with that verse and pray it into my life. Recognizing that's not where I am. That's what you do with promises. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. There it is again. We saw it in Psalm 18, upheld by his hand. He doesn't just send angels to give you a boost and some encouragement. With his own righteous hand, he says he holds you up. Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or darkness or nakedness or peril or sword or coronavirus or economic collapse? As it is written, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, he doesn't say Outside of these things, Christians won't experience this. We're in it. We're in the coronavirus pandemic, just like everybody else. We're in these unstable economic times, just like everybody else. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. These are promises to fasten your faith on. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Why? How could we be content with things the way they are? He's going to tell you. For God himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In our English translation, we have the word never. One time. But in the original Greek language, there are five negative particles in that one short phrase. So that this promise is over the top grammatically. Paul is just pounding home to us what God is saying here. Because he knows. He lives with himself. He knows how easily feelings can lead us astray and cause us to believe we are forsaken 
by God. And so verse 5 literally says, I will never, never leave you. I will never, never, never forsake you. Let me ask you with my second main point. Can you trust God? I'm not asking you, is it possible? I'm asking you, is it happening? Is it happening right now? Look back at what you wrote in that box. Can you trust God with that? Can you trust God with that? I want you to hear a testimony. It's not related to the coronavirus, but folks, this issue of trusting God, there are other times, there are other things where Christians have been rattled, rattled and shattered by circumstances and suffering that has caused them to struggle to trust God. I want you to hear a testimony I received from a young father years ago here in our church family who had been grieving for years and fighting with depression over the loss of his stillborn daughter who had died 10 years ago. But he had a breakthrough that prompted him to write me. Listen to what he says. As you know, I lost my daughter many years ago and it is not something that I've been able to really get over. However, through your sermons and my wonderful small group, I've embraced, an under, notice, I've embraced an understanding of the sovereignty of God that has recently comforted me and helped me to heal in a way that was not possible before. In small group one night, we were discussing 1 Samuel 3.18, where Eli says, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. When I heard that verse, it was like a sledgehammer through my forehead and a warm hug all at the same time. Here was a father, Eli, who had just learned that his own children were going to be taken from him. But he understood the sovereignty of God. That spoke to me in a whole new way. Am I over missing my little girl? Never. However, I don't feel that anything was lost or I was robbed in any way. God gave me a gift and I learned more of who he was from someone who never took a breath. What about you today? Can you say along with Eli about your circumstances right now, whatever it involves with health and job and economy and on and on, can you say along with Eli, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. If you can't, you will struggle on a regular basis with whatever takes place in our world and in your life. And you will have little or no peace. But this young man's not the only one in our church family who has had to wrestle his way into trusting God. I think about the number of men and women in our church family who have lost a spouse the death of a spouse after decades of shared life together. 
I think of our own sweet Neil and Betty Elliot. It's an example that comes to mind. They were married for 70 years. Imagine that. Most of us are not even 70 years old. I'm not saying they were 70 years old. I'm saying they were married for 70 years of shared life. Before God took Betty home last August. And when he did, it left Neil disoriented and distraught. As he tried to sort out living alone in an apartment. After living in a house together with Betty for 70 years. But as I've stayed in touch with Neil and prayed for him and talked with him over these past six months. I have had the privilege of watching something up close that is supernatural. I've seen a man filled with joy and focused on serving others instead of self-pity because he made a choice to trust and rest in God. I reached out to Neil this week and asked if I could share his story. And he allowed me. And here's what he wrote to me. Listen to what this 89-year-old broken-hearted widower says. Brad, as you know, Betty and I were married for 70 years. And in our latter years, we were more in love than ever. And pretty much inseparable. In our 70th year of marriage, she became ill with cancer and multiple broken vertebrae. On July 23rd, we celebrated our 70th anniversary and oh, how we praised God and I still do. But two weeks later, on August 5th, she went home to be with our wonderful Lord and Savior. I was a mess and grieving day after day and having my pity parties while alone in my apartment. I prayed a lot. I talked to my daughter and my son a lot, but things did not improve much. Now listen to what else he did that was wise. Instead of curling up in the fetal position, feeling sorry for himself in his apartment, he says this, but during this time I joined Bud and Linda Fennell's community group and we discussed a book by Randy Alcorn titled The Goodness of God. In short, the book is about the love of God and why Christians suffer and have bad things happen while it often seems that non-Christians and bad people have a wonderful life. This book helped me to realize that God is always in control, has a purpose, and has a plan for everything, even when we don't know what it is. He says, I knew I needed help. So in my prayer time, I started talking to God about me and my attitude. I asked him to help me to trust him and to stop my pity parties. I turned my life over to him. Now look at me. Neil is not talking about getting saved. He's already a Christian. What's he talking about? I'll tell you what he's talking about. As Christians, we can still hold on to our life and what we think it has to look like and make demands of God that it has to make sense to us. And I need an explanation. I need an explanation. I will not be at rest or have peace or joy or serve you again until I get an explanation. I turned my life over to him and started trusting him. 
so that I could help others who are having similar problems. Since I made that choice, I've been a different person with a better outlook, enjoying my life here and feeling good and happy. I now look forward to every day. Even when I called him this past week to get permission to tell this, he answered the phone, this is Neil. Instead of, this is Neil. Miserable Neil. This has been done wrong by God. No, this is Neil. I made a choice. I turned my life over to him. So I want to unpack that word choice a little more with you, with my third point. Number three, will you make a choice to trust God despite how you feel. Oh, I hope you realize, and most Christians don't, trusting God is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not a spiritual gift. It's not something that just happens. And it's certainly not something that you just wake up with one morning. Oh, my goodness. I trust God today. I feel it. I didn't feel it yesterday. And this is what I've been waiting on. I have that trusting God feeling. Never going to happen. It is not a feeling. It's not a spiritual gift. And it's not something that just randomly will land on you. It is a choice to ignore your feelings and rest in God and rejoice in God without all the answers to your questions. Listen to what I'm talking about. You see it in the scriptures that it's a choice. Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. I'm putting it there. It's a choice. Let me never be ashamed. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy. For you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversities. He says, it's enough for me to know that you're a loving, trustworthy caring father and you know the adversities of my soul you're with me in it so i put my trust in you despite lack of answers and explanations psalm 56 whenever i'm afraid i will trust in you in god i will praise his word in god i have put my trust jerry bridges says this Same testimony of what we're talking about right here. For many years in my own pilgrimage of seeking to come to a place of trusting God at all times. I'm still far from the end of that journey. I was a prisoner to my feelings. I mistakenly thought that I could not trust God unless I felt like trusting him. Which I almost never did in times of adversity. Now I am learning that trusting God is first a matter of the will and is not dependent on my feelings. I choose to trust God and my feelings eventually follow. Some of you today, you've lived your Christian life, your entire Christian life this way, by your feelings, by your feelings, by your feelings. And that's why you have such little joy, almost no joy, no peace. You're in constant turmoil. Some of you desperately need to make a choice 
a choice that would point your feelings in a new direction and let your feelings follow the choice that you're making to trust God, rest in God, rejoice in God without answers, without explanations. In closing, let me press. Press you with one final point. Number four. Would you be honest? Would you be willing to be honest? About what really gets in the way of trusting God most. Ready? Us. Us. That's what gets in the way most. It's our own sinful drift. Because our drift and our inclination and our natural tendency is away from God and back to our own resources, our own devices, our own systems and schemes and network of people that we think might help us or rescue us. Folks, it's ugly and it's sad, but it's so true. If there's any other option besides God, we almost always We'll choose it. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about Christians. We do not like trusting God. We want to be in control. We want to know that we can predict the outcomes, we think. It's almost always our last choice. We turn to our schemes, our systems, our network of people that we think could rescue us and solve this. And this is no secret to God, you guys. It's not like he doesn't know this about us, which is why he warns us the way he does. In Isaiah chapter 30, he says, woe to the rebellious children. He's not talking about pagans. He's not talking about unbelievers. His kids. Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me. And who devise plans, but not of my spirit. That they may add sin to sin, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Our tendency is to strengthen ourselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadows of Egypt. Let me ask you, who's your Pharaoh? Who is it that you really trust in? Where's the shadow of Egypt for you? Where do you turn? What is it you trust in instead of God? Who do you look to instead of God? And maybe if you were honest, you would have to say, it's me. I really don't trust anybody, including God, but me, just myself. I trust in myself, myself. God sees it. That's why he says in the very next chapter in Isaiah 31, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many. And in horsemen because they're very strong. But who do not look to the Holy One of Israel. Nor seek the Lord. And this is a lifelong battle you guys. It's not like oh this is just a concern for young Christians. Newbies who are just getting on the path of Christianity. Nope. This is a lifelong battle. To keep coming back to trusting God instead of myself, instead of my network of relationships, instead of my resources, instead of how I, my plans, my. Edith and Francis Schaeffer co-founded, co-founded Libri in Switzerland. 
which was a place where people could come and be honest and ask questions about Christianity. And God used them tremendously in that home. And yet after decades of walking with the Lord and truly knowing him and helping others do the same, listen to what Edith honestly says when she was 75 years old. She says, quote, I'm 75 now, but still very sensitive to the fact that I'm far from being a finished product. And that I have much to learn and that even the same lessons need to be learned over and over again. The greatest lesson I've been learning is the one I'm still learning. We never become a finished product. Isaiah wrote, and then she quotes from Isaiah 50. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and the sparks you have kindled. This is what you will receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment and sorrow. It is our tendency in the dark to try to light our own torches, create our own sparks, make something happen rather than trust and rely on God. Oh, we're in the dark today, are we not? You read one article and it says this. Another article says the opposite. No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. No one knows how long this is going to last. No one knows how many people would truly be impacted. But God does. And in the dark as his people, we must choose to trust him and rely on him and wait on him. Him. She says, throughout life, we must discover time after time when we have crossed the fine line between trusting and relying upon God and lighting our own fires, forcing our own plans. I learned to be alert and sensitive to my own danger of stepping out of the fog to ignite my own sparks. Fires so often seem more secure than staying in God's fog and trusting him. I know that's true of my own heart. There's a natural desire to light a fire, create a spark rather than stay in the fog with God, knowing he's with me. It was Hudson Taylor that said, I may not know the way he leads, but well, I know my God. God in the fog. Can you stay in the fog with God and trust God? Or are you frantically trying to create sparks of your own? Oh, listen, we can trust God in the fog, in the dark. Why? Because this same God right now, this same God sent his son to suffer Ultimate darkness for yes, we're in the dark, very much in the dark on many levels right now in our nation, in our world. But this same God sent his son to suffer ultimate darkness for us on the cross where our sins were placed on him and God's wrath was poured out on him for us. To solve our biggest problem, our biggest problem is not the coronavirus nor the economy. 
It's the sin problem that would have landed us in an eternal hell. He solved our biggest problem. If he would do that for us then on the cross while we were sinners, he'll take care of us now. Oh, Christians, listen to me. Will you trust God in the fog with what you wrote in that box? And will you begin to feed more on his word and shut down some of the TV and the blogs and the constant 24-hour news and find some promises to fasten your faith on, to feed your faith on? An unbeliever, so glad you tuned in today. So glad you joined us. I know you're scared. We are scared also. But listen to me. Stop asking God to rearrange your circumstances. Stop asking God to just calm your fears. Surrender your life. Give him your life. Give him your life. Oh, listen to me. You'll never trust God with what's going on in our world and what's happening in your immediate circumstances until you first trust God with your life. Surrender your life to him. Say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Invite Jesus into your life. Say, I know I need a savior. I know I need a loving, trustworthy, heavenly father. Make that decision today. So that then you're not alone ever. Then he's with you and he begins to give you a peace, not on the outside, but from the inside out. A peace that passes all understanding. If you would like to put your trust in Jesus today, if you would like to become a Christian Pray this simple prayer after me. Oh God, I know that I am a sinner, weak, frail, sinful, and that you created me God dependent. And I've been trying, I've been trying to live my life without you, trying to be self-sufficient and I can't. I give you my life. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And fill me with your spirit. Your spirit. I pray in Jesus name. Amen.